Hey, what's up, guys? My name is Hunter. My name's Alan. And we're here. Um, super excited for the segment today. We're going to continue talking about deconstructionism. Um, last week, if you remember, we did just basically a brief overview, um, just kind of starting a conversation about it. I know we didn't get into a, a ton of things, um, but we are going to today, hopefully we're going to break the surface and kind of start digging into this and um Next week, we'll uh, come back a little bit more in it. Um, Cody will be back with us next week, and I know he's got a lot of notes and stuff that uh, on this subject, and uh, we're excited to hear that. Um, I know he's been studying a lot in it, just as everybody else has, and so um, we just uh, ask that you'd pray for us as we continue going through these segments, and um, we look at the future at what's next. Um, so today... Um, I have an article, and I was kind of just going back and forth of you know where where do we where do we go, um, and you know so today we're going to be talking about this article um, from Desiring God. Um, the article is by a guy named John Bloom. Um, he's a staff writer there. Um, he did a great job at kind of thoroughly going through this. I was studying out the history of deconstructionism, and you have to you kind of got to grab a hold of how such a big topic did start somewhere um and you can find a guy um and we'll we'll talk about him just in a minute but you can excuse me you can find where it starts um with someone but this idea has kind of always been around i guess this man and his name's jacques um if I, i might be mispronouncing it heavily um, but his last name is, uh, Derrida, Derrida, I'm going to pronounce it like that, hopefully that's how you say it, if not, that's not how you say it, but, uh, Derrida, and we'll be talking about him qu- quite a bit today, just because, um, this idea, this philosophy, however you want to put it, starts with him, uh, and so, when we look at this, and I'm getting my, my pages in order right here. Here we go. Here we go. Now they're in order. Um, it, it starts with a guy, but the idea continues kind of evolving on its own. I mean, when you start talking about people who try to deconstruct something, that's been going on. Um, like, you know, today we're going to be talking about how, in one point, you know, deconstruction kind of focuses on literary um, deconstruction, so looking at something like an idea or something that was written and deconstructing it, that's been going on for a long time, but I guess when you look inside the the religion circle or the Christian realm of the Bible and doctrine, um, that's always been going on. Um, we might mention uh, today a, a lady by the name of Elisa Childers. I'm pretty sure I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, basically, she was a part of a band, a group, um, that was, if I'm not mistaken, a Christian band, um, yeah, Elisa Childers, and she was in this group, and she ended up going through a time in her life, um, I'm pulling up just a little of her biography right here, where she basically deconstructed from the ideas and the things that she was taught raising up just because she started questioning the Bible she started questioning the Christian faith Um, in a sense I guess you could say she started really leaning towards skepticism but through her pursuit of God God took a hold of her and showed her truth through his word and his word only Um, not some outside source or some other person I mean it was just the Bible for her plainly and she would continue on in her pursuits of truth, and now she is a well-known apologist, a defender of the Christian faith. Um, she has a podcast. She has a blog. Um, she has a YouTube page. You can go. Um, if any of you watch American Gospel Television, AGTV, or you've ever seen um, the movie American Gospel, Christ Crucified, you're going to recognize her. Um, so she she has made her presence known in a lot of different ways as an apologist these days, and she's very intelligent, Alan. I mean, she's she's sharp as a tack, and it's fun to watch her um, have conversations, have debates, have interviews, or talk on certain subjects because, I mean, it's important. I mean, it's like progressive Christianity. You know, she 
takes that away. Or I think last week I was talking about two guys um, that go by uh, Rhett and Link that were very popular YouTubers during my day. Um, they would do silly little videos, but uh, a lot of their videos would focus around science. Well, now they've posted these videos of them leaving their faith, deconstructing from spiritualism, and all these different things. And, you know, she took a swing at it and kind of uh, deconstructed their deconstruction stories and talked about how, really, you know, it's not about them leaving their faith or some personal story. You know, she's talking about the weight that it had on their audience because most of their audience is like middle schoolers and high schoolers. So, you know, she even had pastors writing to her like, hey, you know, can you help us because we've got middle schoolers that are watching these videos and they have all these questions. How would you approach this as an apologist? And so she's very well known. Um, and so we might mention her uh, a little today and maybe a lot next week, um, you know, about her personal story. Um, obviously, if Alan and I knew her personally, it would be awesome to have her speak for herself, um, um, but we don't, but we would encourage you all, if you'd like to hear her speak about her story and stuff, you can find it. Um, it's on YouTube, you can go to her YouTube page, and uh, it's very encouraging, I think, listeners, that after you listen to it, you'll uh, really maybe kind of uh, relate to her in some fashion, or you might just be inspired, so I, I would check that out, definitely. Um but, okay, so today, let's talk about this article. Um, it's, what does deconstruction even mean, right? So, we, yep. we, briefly, we, we, we did mention last week, and it probably would be worthwhile just to mention again this week that, uh, depending on who's interpreting it, that deconstruction could mean a lot of things. It, uh, when, when you first think of, and my first impression of deconstruction was somebody who has left the faith, uh, uh, deconstructed their faith and basically become atheist or agnostic or uh, ha- have walked away from uh, everything that they've believed growing up. And in some cases, that is true, but it, not in all cases. It could it could mean somebody who is taking a step back, deconstructing their uh, the system of uh, organized religion, which to me is not a bad thing when you step back and you look at what we do and why we do it and analyze that and then uh, maybe make an intentional decision to disconnect from some of the political uh, elements that have made their way into the church and some of the unscriptural things that have uh, started to influence modern organized religion to me uh that point of deconstruction has value, and again, that's that's why it's such an interesting topic that we talk about, and and everybody gets a chance to be exposed to it. There's a sermon that Alan and I both have listened to um, by a man Skip Heidzik. You remember yep, that? Yep, yep, yep. It's called "Addressing Deconstruction and Cancel Culture." Um, if you ever have time, um, go check that out. Um, I believe it's him that's speaking. It might be one of the other. Actually, it's one of their other pastors. His name's Sean something. Um, go check that out. Um, very, I mean, very knowledgeable. Very, um, it's worthy of listening to. And if I'm not mistaken, um, Alan, this Sean guy, I'm pretty sure he's an apologist. Um, uh, for example, I remember I watched a video with him in it one time where he took the appearance of an atheist at a middle school, a uh, Christian school, and they all were asking these questions, and he was, like, blowing them up, you know, with their answers. And they eventually kind of started getting rude towards him, Alan. And at the end of it, he's like, okay, I'm not an atheist. I'm actually an apologist, and I'm a Christian. And he shared his testimony. Um, so, like, he, he's very well ner- known and very, very thorough. He has a YouTube channel as well. Um, and one thing I love about these guys, Alan, is that they specialize in the defending of the faith. Now, here's a great thing. You know, Peter said, be ready to give a defense for the faith. And as Christians, we are all called um, in, in an extent to defend what we believe. It's like, if you can't defend what you say you believe, there's a hole in that idea because obviously it's not that important to you. Yep. But, you know, it's like for me, there are times where uh, I have had people question me about Scripture, about my faith, and I have to refute that with Scripture, logic, science, history, 
Um, but here, and, and I'll, I'll say this out, I do not, and I'm never going to claim that I specialize in apologetics. I've had to take some classes for Bible college, but that doesn't mean nothing. I mean, these guys are like, they're gifted. Just yeah. to, I mean, go out and have these debates and like win people to Christ like Mormons and stuff. And here's the thing, uh, all of us can do that. Um, but what the reason I'm sharing this is, my point is, is I'm thankful for people who just specialize because, you know, you might have... Um, a local pastor that is pouring into his church daily, uh, weekly, and he's having to focus on ministering to the saints and the discipleship, but yet he has people that he can look up or he can listen to or reach out to uh, daily, weekly, that can pour in and specialize on the defending of the faith. Um, one thing that I love is, you know, you have apologetic professors at colleges. That's what they specialize in. And so uh, I, I think it's fun, Alan, because, you know, I know my gifts and I know my strengths, but yeah. I also know my weaknesses and I know the areas I'm not called into and the the spiritual gifts I may not have. And so it's just fun because when you can watch someone that you know God has their hand on them, and that may not be your area, that's awesome. Because that just shows the body of Christ. You don't have to do everything. You don't have to be everything. The body of Christ is everything. Yeah. And so I, I enjoy uh, Miss Child Childers. I enjoy Sean, uh, the the guy in that video that I was talking about. Um, I enjoy you know the American Gospel t- television and all of those people who just make time to diffuse the progressive message out there. Um, there's another group that a uh, married couple, uh, the Cozarts, hit the bar on YouTube. If you'll go check them out, um, they're a little humorous in their approach, but uh, they take modern-day messages and pastors and show people how there's holes and flaws in their messages they're preaching, and so it's just awesome because you can sit back and grow and reap something out of the time they've put in to that just like they'll go to their churches on Sundays and grow from what their pastor preaches. You see how yeah. it goes hand in hand. Yeah, so sure we appreciate them. Um, they may they may never listen to this, and that's fine. Um, but you know we should pray for them and people who are um, taking that step to defend the faith. And here's the thing: they might be well known because they have a good media platform. But I know there are a lot of apologists and Christians out there that are in the trenches that we may never know that are defending the faith. There might be those that have to do it in the workplace daily. Um, there might be those who do it in other countries. Um, and, you know, it's just awesome um, to know that they're there. And we're praying for you all. We'll pray at the end of this for everybody um, that, you know, stands for the faith. And that should be all Christians. And I know there's times in my life and Alan's life um, that he's put us on the spot. And you have to, you need to do it. You've got to defend your Lord Jesus because what he's done for you. Um, so, Let's begin with this article, Alan, and, I mean, what does deconstruction even mean, right? We talked about it a little last week, about, you know, there's a lot to the meaning. Um, One thing I like about John is he brings ideas up that we didn't discuss last week, Alan. Um, And Alan, what what I was thinking is Alan doesn't know about this article. This is like a last-minute thing. So Alan's going to be able to hear this and share this as someone who's sitting at home listening. And when Alan hears these things, he's going to share his opinions. He's going to share the thoughts that maybe the Lord puts on him. And I think it's going to be fun um, because for this first time Alan's hearing this stuff, we're going to get to see Alan's reaction. He's the guinea pig today. (laughs) But it's going to be cool to see you hear these things and then process them and think about it because it's really neat. Um, So let's begin. Um, Deconstruction is a term that has increasingly been used in evangelical circles, especially over the past decade, but it's a confusing term. We established that a little last week. Because there's no single or simple definition for deconstruction. It has different meanings in different contexts. It has technical meanings in certain academic contexts and various informal meanings when current or former evangelicals use it to describe their or others' faith experiences. that's, That's great. It's not surprising that many are asking some form of what does deconstruction even mean? So you might be listening to this podcast and last week's and be like, what's it mean? Well, here we go. You're going to find out. It's an important question and needs clarifying answers. Certainly more answers than I can adequately cover here. I like how he's humble in this because he's like, I'm going to try my best and give you a lot of information, but yet I'm still not going to hit it. I'm not going to hit the, the a home run with this. Um, but he, he really does. Um, 
He said, but I hope to provide something of an introductory overview. And I mean, that's the goal, okay? So, uh, the question comes up, where does it come from? Um, in ni- the 1960s, a French philosopher named Jacques Derrida, 1930 to 2004, uh, began to advocate for a postmodern philosophy of language. Do you know what's interesting, Alan? Um, when we talk about people, like in history that started movements, you know most of them have died out before our time. This guy passed away in 2004. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, I mean, he not only was I alive and Alan was alive, so, like, this is, like, it's kind of recent, if you think about it. It's kind of neat, um, but not neat because his ideas are a little backwards. Okay, so, listen, he began to advocate for a postmodern philosophy of language and its relationship to our concepts of meaning that he called deconstruction. So he advocated, basically, he promoted an idea of a postmodern philosophy of language and its relationship to concepts of meaning. So basically, he's questioning concepts that have been created or been established at some point in time. It is an abstruse philosophy and notoriously difficult, some say impossible, that's pretty accurate, to summarize. In fact, Derrida himself refused to summarize deconstruction, claiming that his whole life's work was a summary of his philosophy. Um, and he never did summarize it, Alan, which is interesting. Nevertheless, he's, this is the writer, John Bloom. I'll take a shot at summarizing, as currently I understand it. And stick with me, because knowing something of where deconstruction comes from will hopefully give us insight into why some Christians have adopted it and adapted it into describe their experiences and why many find it confusing. Okay, so here's some summaries, Alan. Number one, a fundamental assumption undergirding Dorita's philosophy is that humans, through biological evolution, develop the capacity to impose psychological constructs of meaning upon their world as a survival mechanism. In other words, meaning, as in the ultimate meaning of things, is a human psychological creation, not a discovery or divine revelation of truth. So basically, Alan, this first point, and I want to go through these slowly for the listeners and for me and you, um, what it's stating is that through biological evolution, so the evolution of humanity from beginning till at whatever point created a psychological construct, so an idea and a meaning of their world as a survival. So basically, Alan, like religion. So throughout time, man in their own evolving mind created religion for the helping of surviving on this earth. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So, or you could go outside of that, any moral or anything. It's all because of the evolution process of the mind that psychologically in our minds, we create standards or systems that help us as we continue on this earth. Mechanisms. Okay. So, it's a human psychological creation. These ideas, religion or anything. Look here. He says, not a discovery or divine revelation of absolute truth. So, for instance, the Bible. That was a outcome of human evolution, an idea, instead of a discovery or divine revelation that was given to us. Now, that's what modern man would probably say the Bible is anyway. It's just something made up by men. There's no God in it. But that's the first point of summary. Here's number two, Alan. Therefore, deconstruction asserts that human language at best communicates not absolute truth, but how a certain individual conceives of truth at a certain moment in time in the context of his cultural, political, religious, environmental, and experiential influences. So basically that there is no absolute truth. It's just at certain times in every human's life they experience a moment of truth that they interpret for themselves and based off the culture they live in, their political views, their religion, everything that they believe in or claim to is based off some moment where they had their own interpretation of truth. Um, Number three, therefore deconstruction asserts that philosophers or theologians consult written works of the past in vain to discover absolute truth or meaning. 
since all they're encountering are other authors' constructs of truth or meaning. Not only that, but the more distant a reader is culturally, linguistically, and historically from an author, the less the reader will understand what the author actually had in mind when he used terms like truth, justice, good, evil, etc. So basically, the older, the, 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 the more the separation between Paul and you and I, Alan, the harder it will be for us to interpret Paul's writings because only Paul was able to conceive that interpretation of truth in his life. So basically, we're not Paul, and it's just Paul's writing. Not God's writing, it's Paul's writing. Therefore, we cannot totally grab a hold of it because of the huge distance between us. Number four, and therefore, the philosophy of deconstruction asserts that in an effort to understand as much as possible what an author actually meant by the language he used, sophisticated methods of textual criticism must be employed to deconstruct the author's words in order to decipher the conceptual constructions that shaped the author's understanding of truth and meaning. So basically, textual criticism has got to be involved as we look, for instance, at Paul's writing. We have to destruct, deconstruct Paul's writings completely to understand the idea that he's trying to share with us. So we have to be skeptics toward it and critical towards it. So John says, let me try to simplify this even more, okay? A lit, number one, a literary, literary philosophy arguing that we're wrong to assume that by merely reading an author's words, we can understand something that about absolute truth. Since our conception of truth, our constructs of what everything means will be significantly different from the author's. And deconstruction is a method of literary criticism that takes part and analyzes an author's use of language in effort to discern his construct of meaning. Okay, so listen. When it comes to the faith, when it comes to the Bible, deconstructionism's approach is a method of literary criticism, of criticizing the text, breaking down the text, and deconstructing the text to find the meaning, but with the idea there's no absolute truth. So for Derrida, there's no meaning outside the text of a philosopher's written work. No absolute truth that the writer is shedding light on for the reader. There's only the writer's construct of meaning of truth represented in the text he wrote. So basically, there's no absolute truth. There's nothing that shed lights on us. We're just reading opinions. Nothing is in concrete. So when you look at this method or this idea, you can approach anything in this current age with this. There's no absolute truth in it. You break it down and try to figure out how this person interprets truth. So Alan, for example, if we take the Bible, just Paul, let's take the book of Romans, right? Number one in deconstruction, there's no absolute truth in Dorita's viewpoint, in his opinion. The only thing is that Paul is seeing truth based off his perception. That's why there's no concrete in it. But what we do is we take Romans, we read it, we go through it, we deconstruct it, we criticize it, and we just try to find some sort of idea that Paul is portraying. So when you look at deconstructionism, Alan, accurately according to Jacques Derrida, it's not this person that uses it for just this personal story or this moment. It's someone who sees a truth, questions it because there's no absolute truth in it, and tries to just find some sort of idea. But here's what we know. The idea and the definitions that we've read so far in deconstructionism are not that and they are that. So even though you can find a guy who basically it could be the founder of this, the definition of this movement has evolved and changed as time has continued. Um, so for example, the question comes up. So why have Christians ad- adopted this idea? Um, so why have Christians adopted this term, John says? Deconstruction from a philosophy based on principles of philosophical naturalism. He says, I think we can make a connection from what the theologian 
Kevin Van Hooser has written about Dorita. Listen, now this is good. Listen to this. The motive behind, and this is quote Van Hooser, the motive behind Dorita's strategy of undoing deconstruction stems from his alarm over illegitimate appeals to authority and exercises of power. So what Van Hooser has said so far is that Dorita has an alarm and a questioning towards authority and exercises of power. Okay, The belief that one has reached the single correct meaning, or God, or truth, provides a wonderful excuse for damning those with whom one disagrees as either fools or heretics. I th- that's, that's pretty straight. Listen, neither priest who supposedly speak for God nor philosophers who supposedly speak for reason should be trusted. This logocentric claim to speak from a privileged perspective Reason, the word of God, is a bluff that must be called or better deconstructed. And it's quoting from a book, Is There Meaning to the Text? Okay, so over the decades since Derrida introduced the philosophy of deconstruction, the term has worked its way into the common vernacular where it now has come to a general mean. And this is the general definition that it's evolved to. A critical dismantling of tradition and traditional modes of thought. Plain and simple. I agree with that. In other words, deconstruction has become a kind of shorthand term that, in additional and critical questioning, traditional ways of thinking, also implies a refusal to recognize as authorities those who see themselves or are perceived by themselves as one who claim to speak from a privileged perspective about what truth is. In the Christian world, this translates critically. This translates to critically questioning traditional modes of Christian belief, and often refusing to recognize as authorities those perceived as occupying privileged Christian institutional positions who supposedly speak for God. So they question those who would speak for God. Now, because this is only a brief overview, that explanation is unavoidably rendustic. Christian experience of deconstruction are complex and often very painful, but viewed from 30,000 feet, these characteristics of questioning, traditional Christian beliefs, and rejecting supposed Christian authorities are, I believe, why some have adopted the term. So, Alan, that was a lot. So this man named Jacques Derrida, for whatever purpose, or Derrida, however you want to pronounce him, comes up with this philosophy of deconstructing every idea or philosophy and literally criticizing it and trying to figure out what the author is trying to relate while holding the notion that no one person can interpret absolute truth. There's no absolute truth. It's just human flawed opinions. Now, Al, if I ask you, after you just heard all this, the first thing that comes to your mind just on the idea that this guy created this, this questioning system, and now we've talked about how we've seen it creep into the church, and we'll continue. Alan, what, what damage, what damage can you see in this that it could influence upon someone? Well, first of all, while you were reading, I really had to pray and and, and exercise some self control to keep from interrupting you. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> because uh, uh, this this Dorito guy. Uh, when you when you listen to that concept, and you, again, there's nothing wrong with critical thinking, and there's nothing wrong with uh, analyzing and uh, questioning, uh, but as far as absolute truth, uh, the historical value of the Word of God and the evidential uh, facts that are not uh, to be questioned. I mean, I mean, you you can you can argue about. A topic all you want to if, if I say that that desk is is blue and I can argue that I don't want to but me and you both can look at it and, and see it's not blue and the the history uh, that has been documented to support some of Paul's writings uh, speaks for itself and, and again uh, the 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 value in in the the, the confidence that we can put in that truth uh, to me uh, is irreplaceable but let me say this because when we form a belief system 
when I form a belief system and I hold on to some things and I'll use some good Southern Baptist Church vernacular. I call it convictions. Some of my convictions, my deep-rooted convictions. Okay, well, are those deep-rooted convictions value-added? Are they are they true? Or what are they based on? Are they are they uh, uh, you know doctrinal, which they should be. They should all be based out of the doctrine of, of the uh, Christ. But uh, nothing wrong with going through and evaluating and questioning. Yeah, questioning those things. Yeah. Uh, that the the damage that can occur back to the question again uh man uh, putting your the, the skepticism into a point where it's uh leads to doubt maybe what's your thoughts so i guess okay let me answer the question first and then i've got another little thing i, I want to talk about the damage that it can create is I think if impaled or imposed on young people, this could absolutely brainwash a whole generation. Yeah. Um, just because, you know, we're looking at a man-made idea that includes re- questioning, revolting and rebelling. I mean, that's what it is. You're rebelling against a traditional mindset. And so I almost got the opinion. Sorry, I almost got the opinion while you're reading that. And I, the thought came to me while you're reading it, then it left me now <laughs> while I had the, the mic. But the Bible talks about knowledge and the beginning. Fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. But it also talks about that knowledge puffeth up, and it makes people uh, uh, arrogant. It yeah. makes them uh, have a elevated uh, opinion of their own self-worth. So you you really have to be careful in your pursuit of knowledge that as God grants you knowledge, that he also, with that knowledge, will sprinkle in wisdom, which is the proper way to apply that knowledge. And I I see this idea interwoven into society today, Um, especially when you start talking about the Bible with people or asking people about the Bible. You know, I've talked to people at work about the Bible and I've heard a lot of different opinions. And a uh, popular one is man was involved. So therefore, if man's flawed, Bible's flawed. Okay. When I quote, you know, all scripture given by the inspiration of God. Um, you know, great God. Yeah, God this, God this. But if man was involved, it's flawed. Um, so I see this idea of opinion and interpretation. But, you know, Alan, this, this, is, this is the perspective. Let me share this. You know, this guy's made this philosophy and imposing it on society as though he's right. And even in his imposing of his ideas, he's also um, contradicting himself because exactly. the whole philosophy itself is we shouldn't impose on others, but as the philosophy is. Um, but let me share this perspective. This is, to me, this is the Christian perspective of how we see truth. So there are truths in this world. Um, should someone murder somebody let's just use a a truth our law no everybody would say that's the truth no one should murder Um, the consensus of humanity would say no we shouldn't murder okay Um, should we um, for example um, should we have abortions consensus would say no but now consensus has shifted because there are those who interpret the idea of abortion as it's right so what happens, Alan, is no one really knows truth anymore. Um, like, the, there is truth. We shouldn't murder. We shouldn't have abortions. Um, here's another truth. Was the election tampered with for our the last election? Yes, it was. There was evidence for that. There are truths. But what happens is when society comes face-to-face with truth, everyone interprets it differently. But for the Christian, here's what happens. We don't interpret it based off our opinions or our feelings. We let the Word of God influence our interpretation of truth. So, for example, we have a biblical worldview. We look at a biblical lens. So, if someone says, what's your opinion on murder? Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not kill. Okay. What's your uh, opinion on abortion? Um, Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not murder. Um, You could go talk about what Herod did to babies and all those different things. Um, what what's your uh, opinion on political? Um, God raises them up and God bring, brings them down, but lying and cheating is not right, and 
God speaks against those things. Um, so, like, we have a biblical worldview in this narrative. So, it's not that we're looking at it trying to figure out, hmm, what do we think about this? No, we go, okay, what, what does God's Word have to say for this? Now, there are truths, but when we start talking about an absolute truth, this Dorada, Dorita, is stating that there's no sense of absolute truth, but here's the reality. There is absolute truth. Um, and I'm not going to use just a generic Christian answer and say the Bible is absolute truth and stop there. No, everyone in their life sees some sort of truth that they claim to. But when we look at absolute truth, we have to understand that we didn't just get here by chance. I mean, this whole theory of evolution and stardust came together and plasma and man was created in the insta of two things colliding together and uh, our bodies were made, our reproductive organs were made and all of these things, that, that doesn't get us anywhere. And Alan, here's the truth. In 20 years, the idea of evolution will become old and there will be a new philosophy. There will be a new idea. Um, the school books will change in another 10, 20 years. So this idea that Darwin even started will eventually fade to old news. And so what we see in humanity is a repetitive pattern of the question, what is truth? Where do we find truth? Is this it? But the claim is that the Bible and the narrative of God has not changed. It's always been around. There have always been those who claim to. So while the world fluctuates, for instance, like a wave tossed to and fro, or like a uh, a top that's being spun and it goes everywhere. The, while the world fluctuates, there will be those who will stand strong on the fact that we have absolute truth in Scripture. Um, and some people get that so tied up. But here's the thing, guys. If God, think about this, if God were to give a written word to man and tell him to use it and spread it out. And the reality is, is some of the stuff that man wrote in it was a quotation. It's like I asked to God oh, this last week. What about the Gospels? If they're just writing down the words Jesus said, the Son of God said, is there not meaning to that? They wouldn't answer my question. So in reality, it's not that they're conveying their own ideas or trying to interpret something. They're just writing down what they've seen and what they were told to write down. It's like the Ten Commandments. God literally gave Moses that. Why is that so hard? Why do we have to question that? We have people that would rather go believe in a fairy tale than believe in an idea of God. And here's the issue, Alan. When people come in contact with absolute truth, they don't want it. They don't want it. They would rather have the fairy tale. They would la rather go live in Hogwarts with Harry Potter than come in contact with the Creator. And I'm not, if you listen to this and you listen to Harry, watch Harry Potter, I'm, I'm not saying nothing towards you or hating on you. I'm just saying that's the reality. It, it is more plausible, Alan, in this day and age that aliens exist more than the idea that God created the heavens and the earth. That Jesus was the Son of God. And here's the thing, Alan. In the ideology and the ideas that these people claim to, when we begin to talk to about God, it's foolishness. But yet, when they go through their five points of why aliens are real, why a unicorn saved them, or this or this or this, if we question that, we're wrong. But yet, their basis is off a movie. Their basis is off an idea. Whereas our basis, and I love that you said this, the historical support... The historical evidence of Christianity in the Bible is so evident throughout oh, it, time. It's overwhelming. So we have more factual basis on what we stand than the God that believes he's a Jedi. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, <clears throat> here, Here's the issue. I think what, a lot of reasons that there's skepticism and there is doubt is because of the cultural fiction that has shifted into this modern age. Yeah. I mean, you have movies, you have stories, you have all these fairy tales that we are raised in to the point where it's like the world is wanting our mindset to be a fictional mindset. Like, if it sounds far-fetched, it's not real. Uh, only thing that is real is anything that we can put through a scientific method and remove faith from. Yeah, got to, got to remove that element out. You, if it's it, got to be removed. That's what I'm saying. If you yeah. can't see it, if you, it's not hands-on, if it can't go through the scientific yep. method, it be proven. So I got a question. Let's go back to Darwin thing. Go ahead. Okay, and again, just for all the critical thinkers out there that are supporting evolution, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna reveal my naive four year old 
mindset here. If evolution is true, why do we still have monkeys? If they, you know, what I'm saying, if we evolved, why are there still? Why didn't all of them evolve? Why are there? Why are there still monkeys? You know, what I'm saying, if we have, if it's it's a a process of constant change, and we started out in, you know, the Cro Magnum and all of this different phases of change, would the whole species not have changed together? But we've still got still got monkeys on Earth. I don't understand that. <laughs> Well, it's like, not even monkeys, Alan. I mean, what about half monkey, half humans? Yeah. Like, human. I mean, it's like, humanity cannot start out as, like, oh, we came from monkeys, and then we evolved, and now we don't anymore. That That's not how the process works. No. We would keep arriving. Yeah. Um, and so, when you look at, and I was trying to find a quote. Um, and my computer's not loading this article. Um, and, and I mean, this is about Darwin himself. And, and here's the interesting thing that uh, atheists themselves still have to leave the door open for truth. Um, they cannot say that everything they say is absolute truth because atheism views always change as truth changes. Um, Darwin, you know, was never spot on about... Um, that he was absolutely correct. Um, his speculations, he did say, went past natural science. And that's a door to say, I'm going past what we can really see. I'm just trying to create, you know what I'm saying? But when you look at all of these things that Alan and I have talked about, about atheism or cancel culture or the questioning that takes place, it's all led to the deconstruction of things. And, you know, deconstruction wraps around this idea of what's truth. But here's the thing. Truth has to come from somewhere. Truth has to be evident from something. We are not on this earth for just fun and farts and giggles, as one might say. I mean, here's the thing. Even if, let's say, evolution in the Big Bang was correct, let's say it was real, it would come from the truth of it. Um, if God created all things, which we hold the conviction He did, there's evidence and truth of it. And I'm telling you, there's more for that than there is evolution. Yep. But when you look at truth, and you guys that are listening to this, when you start asking the question, what is truth, evaluate what you've seen consistently through history. And it's it's the Bible. It's the Bible. Um, so when we start talking about this idea of deconstruction and absolute truth, and what is it, and mere perceptions, and, you know, this guy's perspective versus this perspective. There's no truth. We have to ask the question. What do evangelicals mean by deconstruction? Right, Because that's what we're talking about. Deconstruction in the faith and in the church. Um, John Bloom says, I believe it's why some evangelicals and former evangelicals have also adopted Doretta's term. Perhaps we might say it like this. So listen. Deconstruction is a cr critical dismantling of a person's understanding of what it means to be an evangelical Christian. In some cases, a refusal to recognize as authorities those perceived as occupying privileged evangelical institutional positions who supposedly speak for God. But this definition still leaves plenty of room for confusing I'll make sure I'm right. Yeah, um, confusing because this the dismantling can look quite differently for people. For instance, here are four primary ways that John Bloom talks about deconstruction and he hears things. The first thing is this. Dismantling harmful cultural influences. A small group of evangelicals use deconstruction to describe ways to protect historical evangelical doctrine and healthy practices. For example, in the final episode of the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, which I've listened to, um, Paul Tripp says this, We should all be deconstructing our faith. We better do it. Because our faith becomes a culture... A culture so webbed in the purity of truth that it's hard to separate the two. We better do some deconstructing or we're going to find ourselves again and again in these sad places. So Mars Hill was a church and it was led by Mark Driscoll and it had a, it had a fallout. I mean, it just, Alan, the bottom fell out of the place. But what this guy is talking about, Paul Tripp, and the podcast is actually, I mean, if you want to listen to it, go check it out. But what Paul Tripp is saying is that in this church, biblical doctrine and culture 
came together. And what he's saying is that they needed to deconstruct from this inner webbing of two ideas so that way they could find truth. Um, If you listen to Tripp's full quote, it's clear that what he means by deconstruction is critically dismantling not of historical Orthodox Christian beliefs rejecting the oversight of the New Testament endorsed faithful, godly, spiritual leaders, Hebrews 13, but of a cultural influence. So he's not saying that they should question off the leaders that have been called by God or the Bible. What should be put into question is the cultural influence that distort and redefine the faith in unbiblical and harmful ways. That's accurate straight down the barrel. I agree 100%. And when I talked you know, last week about a time in my life where I had to deconstruct uh, this is this is where I kind of line up with Alan. Not that the culture I was in was trying to flay like flood in, flood, you know, kind of come in and flood into my biblical views. But here's the thing: from a young boy, you know, being saved at 11 to being at the age of 18, I fell into the narrative. If you go with me a little farther into like an example, I fell into the mainstream river of Christianity. You come to church, you read your Bible, you go to Bible study, you don't do these things, and if you have issues, call your preacher. Get a hold of your preacher, or get a hold of your youth pastor, or your leader. And I fell into that mainstream. Like there wasn't discipleship, there wasn't daily pursuits, there really was no devotion. And Alan, even to this day and age, there are still days I struggle, and I need that devotion. And I think that's a a, a huge downfall for the, the the church as a whole globally. I mean. Part of what we're called to do is make disciples, and that the sanctification of each individual and their own accountability to own that and to pursue God. Uh, as a church, we need to encourage that because in today's society, uh, it's it's hard to tell who's a Christian. Yeah, everybody's just kind of blended together in one big old you know mossy pit, yeah. unless it's Sunday. It's Sunday, it's easy to tell who's a Christian because their cars are in the parking lot at the church. But think about this, Alan. Christianity should not be a cultural idea created by man. Christianity should be a daily devotion to Christ. It absolutely should. And that's like, when I look back and look at how I've seen church and Christian lives portrayed and how the life should look like, I mean, here's the thing. It, it, it's more of a culture that's being portrayed come on in jake come on in jake yeah it's your office okay all right sorry jake uh that was jake evans exit stage right yeah fun fact the podcast room is in jake's office yeah it's it's two it's two for one right now um and we're cool with that and he is too uh it's just our our scheduling's a little off sometimes but it's fine Uh, we got plenty of rooms here um but when you start talking about you know, this idea, it's like it almost became a culture more than a pursuit of truth for me because I saw and heard, you know, this is how it is. And if you just come, if you just in this building, right, uh, you know, if you come to this class, like, but there was no discipleship, there was no in-depth Bible study. And it's like, you know, I meet with some, a group of young men on Saturdays right now. And we're going through Romans and it's great because there are a couple of them sent me some texts about how this study is just pushing them. But what's funny and great at the same time is yesterday I said, is this the first time y'all have heard stuff like this? And their answer was, well, we've heard some of these topics, but this is the first time we've actually dove deep into this stuff. And I'm like, amen. But what I see in my life, Alan, is I was influenced more of a culture because, I mean, let's be honest. Sunday mornings, be here. Tithe, great. Don't do these things during the week. Make sure you're doing what you need to do. Hold on to that VBS profession that there was no God in it, but some person led you to Christ, and that's how it was. And what you're seeing, Alan, is you've seen a removal of biblical truth, and you've seen the introduction of this is church, the culture of church. Yep. And it's even like in preachers. Um, you know, I, I I have nothing against preaching. I love preaching. I mean, I'm a preacher. I love listening to it. I love being about it. But here's one thing is, Alan, I've seen so many young men influenced by the culture of being a Baptist preacher instead of just embracing what God's called them to yeah, be. There's yeah. an issue right there. And I agree with what Paul Tripp says. There needs to come a time where we deconstruct from the idea that the culture is pressing upon us and we start diving into biblical truth. Because if all we do is claim... Uh, claim 
a cultural idea, then there's no truth in that. It's just men's opinions and things that they've come up with on how they can be a Christian. Um, it's like, you know, in this first John stuff that our pastor is going through, if you don't have these things, if they're not evident in your life, if you're not willing to question and, and look at the faith that you claim you have and see that if it's evident, lined up with Scripture, perfect. there's an issue. Perfect. And, and I think that, you know, from Chuck's testimony to Nolan's testimony, and I don't know why we haven't thought about this. We need to get them on here. We do. Dude, we need to get Chuck on here. Yeah, we and do. Chuck was a deacon that just got saved a few weeks ago. And it might be that between, um, we might take like a little break between like when we finish deconstruction and then when we go, to, we might have him on here next week. I don't know, yeah. man. I mean, we need to have him on here and share his testimony. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when they were saved, all they've done is exist in a culture instead of exist as a child of God. And now that they're saved, they're starting to get away from the culture that they've been grown up in and they're starting to pursue the things of God. Now, here's the thing. It, it, it is the influence of the church bad. No, it's not, but it can be if that becomes our righteousness. And so when you look at this idea of dismantling harmful culture influences like the Mars Hill thing, it needs to happen. Alan, you were here at Watson's when really things really took off. So let me ask you a question. Did you see a cultural influence start to happen here instead of a biblical influence? No, absolutely. Absolutely. When you... you if anybody's ever been through those uh, times where what we consider uh, of uh, growth and, and uh, or we consider it prosperity in the church, uh, all that's based off numbers. All of it's based off of uh, you know uh, you know how many empty seats, how many full seats, and that type of mindset. But when you look at the concept of you know leading association and baptisms every year. And then you lead them the next year and say we had, I'm going to make a fictitious number here for just a, a purpose of making my point. Let's say we had 35 baptisms one year. The next year we had 45 baptisms, but uh, 15 of them were the same people that just got baptized over again. Something's wrong with that. You know, when you, when you, when you start getting into the uh, spiritual development of people, uh, it's more than just about how many people we can get in this building. It's more than just about how many numbers we can post it, on a statistic and, and submit. Uh, the development of individuals to make them disciples yeah. in the uh, soldiers in the army of God that have a, 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 a firm concept on what it's like to be to live to what it's like to live uh, the scripture that says be ye holy because I'm holy. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. It, it, it that scares a lot of people to death. Well, I'm not holy. I don't want people to think I'm a holy. The Bible commands us yeah. to be because God's holy. Yeah, and that that's a byproduct of, of of that pursuit of Him of being sanctified and and, and being uh, intentional in everything that we do to honor and glorify Him. Uh, and it's it's not a it's not an awkward process. It's a part of God using me as who I am. All my attitudes, all my quirks, all of my, yeah. all of my, my 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 flaws, in a submissive state to Him. Uh, God uses that to come out from among the world and be separate. You know uh, uh, that that light, that salt, that person that that not draws attention to himself, but he 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 reflects attention and the glory back to God. That's what the church should be about: is discipling, making, encouraging, pushing, challenging each other, yoking together, coming together, arm to arm, uh, and, and and moving forward, not for Watson's Chapel's sake, but for the kingdom's sake. Yeah, and you know, Alan, I'm uh, I'm sitting here processing just all of these things that we've talked about, and you know. What I see, Alan, too, is I kind of see the, the, I guess, the the relating that you probably have, like, with this quote from this church, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, because, you know, there was probably a time, like, for those of you who don't know, you know, Watson's, I mean, at one point in time, it was a lot different here. I mean, this place was booming. Um, There's a lot of preaching, and then all of a sudden, 
through a couple bad decisions, um, the bottom fell out. But, Alan, what I'm seeing, and the reason I said the relating part, is there was probably a time where you and some of the deacons, y'all had to step back and kind of deconstruct the idea you had and now look at how you see things. Now, like, for instance, I, I you talk about the relationship a lay member, but you know, a deacon, you know, mm. a relationship someone should have with their pastor. Yep. And, you know, from you being able to step back and search the scriptures for yourself and through prayer learn about, you know, what it looks like to have a relationship, you know, with a pastor in a supporting way, but where, you know, no one ever tries to put them on a pedestal. And I got to say, like, I, a lot of people here, don't do that now. Yeah. I mean, they don't try to make him into something it, it, he's it, not. And our pastor, our current pastor, has, has has been the recipient of some unjustified. I'll go ahead and say that treatment because of the history. And again, Hunter, if you'd asked me that question fifteen years ago, do I do I put men on a pedestal? I would have answered you no. no. And realistically, in my heart, believed I was telling you the truth. I would have, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I would have I would have thought I was being honest with you. But I can look back now at a situation through the providence of God that he's helped me keep my sanity and keep all, keep everything firing in the in the proper perspective and keep me in a position of of sanctification and and and, and keep me pursuing and trying to serve and and I can say my perspective was not right back then. Yeah. And you know when we talk about this, I'm going to try to wrap this up. We'll finish these next three points next week. When you start looking about this deconstruction idea, you know, w- one thing that I do have to say, and, and I, I see this on my own, not just in this article, is it started out as a philosopher's idea, and it seems as though Christians have taken it and adopted it in a context in which they wish to use it. So some who have apostatized from the faith. They're full-blown about deconstruction. But those who just question things or have to step back and look at how the culture has impressed upon them and they need to, you know, get away from the culture and get to the Bible and all these different things, they've adopted parts of it. Um, They've adopted the critical thinking. They've adopted the critical questioning. And I think that's why last week we talked about it and this week we talked about it in this article written by John Bloom that even though we try to summarize it and define it, there's still so many open doors in which it can be interpreted based upon the person. And, you know, I I see this as a... Here's what I see, Alan. I see questioning and doubts labeled as deconstruction. That's what I see now. Yeah. And when you look at, you know, the Bible and you look at the questioning and you look at the doubts or you look at Thomas, you know, eventually people are going to try to say Thomas tried to deconstruct. It's almost like a very aggressive label has been put on just simple things that humans undergo as Christians. The questioning, having doubts about some things. But here's what I know. He who starts a good work will finish that work. Absolutely. Any any critical thinking at all. We should encourage it. We should encourage any critical thinking that will lead you to a passionate pursuit of truth in God. Because here's the thing. When we start talking about questions, it's like, you know, I tell people, hey, if you got questions, write them down, give them to me, or let's go over them together. Let me show you some biblical answers. But here's, Alan, here's what my answers, my answers should be most of the time. Hey, you need to pray about these questions. Because here's the thing. Critical thinking as a Christian is way different different than trying to be a critical thinker outside of Christianity because the Bible talks about that the Holy Spirit lives within us. He's the teacher. He's the guider. He does everything for us. And this is what I know is when we have biblical questions or biblical ideas or doubts or even unbelief is that the Bible talks about bringing them to the Lord. Um, The Bible talks about the comfort that he gives us and the teaching that comes from the Holy Spirit. And this is what I know, is that through my life, I've had a lot of doubts. I've questioned a lot of things. I've been insecure about faith as a whole, a lot. And here's what I know. Who I am today is who I wasn't three years ago. But it's been a process of me taking my questions to God, but taking my questions to pastors and, and deacons and People that can help me biblically and point me to the Bible, not to their opinion. And as God continues to mold you, Hunter, into the man that he wants you to be, and, and you continue to grow, and 
man, the scripture is perfectly clear. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask let him God ask. that gives to all men liberty. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And he'll he will he he'll bless you. And he'll and here's how he's done me. He knows my capacity. He don't overload me. <laughs> he gives me just what I need yeah. to push me into a challenge me and grow me into a position of service and here's the thing alan and this is this is what i love he didn't leave me where i was nope (laughs) and you were talking about either and you were talking about you know what he gives you and how he leads you and here's the thing i was thinking about this this morning and uh, you know as the lord was heavy on my heart is when you start looking at Christ- Christianity, some of the doubts I had were always about salvation, Alan. And you know what? I think about it now. If someone were to question me or I were to question myself, I shouldn't have to look back to when I was 11. I should be able to look at my life now and Yesterday, see fruit. Today. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's the thing. is like It's who we are. People, people that have to go back to that day are probably lacking evidences now of how they're God's child. And that's just the cool thing is like I can look back and see when I was saved, but by the grace of God, I can look at this week. I can look at last week and see how the Holy Spirit, how the Lord has worked on me and He's been working on me about things in my life or He's opened opportunities or He takes care of me. The evidence is everywhere. But here's what I know. I never would have saw that if the Lord wouldn't have grew my faith yep. and increased it. Yep. And that's the thing. It's like you might be listening to this and you're a believer and you might be like, Hunter, I think I might be deconstructing. <laughs> I don't know. I'm questioning things. I have. Guess what? Number one, pray about those questions. Yeah. And number two, yes, sir. Seek biblical counsel. Yeah. Seek the Bible. And if you have questions or you're struggling, uh, contact us through our Facebook page. Contact us at Media at Watson's Chapel. Um, dot net. Send us something. I mean, like we're here, and you know we can speak of ex- through experience of what this looks like. And I, I'm just thankful because in my life now, I'm able to interact with people that are going through doubts and have questions just as I did. And it's yeah. so cool because, you know, it's that song they sang this morning, Alan, uh, The Cruelest World. This is where grace is, places where grace is soon to be so amazing. And basically, it's just talking about that these things we've went through, like, they won't go unredeemed. And when I think about that, Alan, it's like this, this timing in my life it didn't go unredeemed. God redeemed that time, and now He's using it yep. so I can help others. Yep. And so, guys, we hope that you've learned something new today. We hope you've been challenged um, and hopefully educated to some extent, even though we're not educators. Um, but we're just thankful for this podcast. We're thankful for this open opportunity that God al- allows us every week just to be able to come together. And we're thankful for you listening. Yeah, keep listening. We're, yeah. we're excited about it. Um, I noticed this week that we had seven downloads from a country in Germany alone. I thought that was so neat, and I don't speak German. Hopefully you speak English. Thanks for listening in. Um, you know, we love how this podcast just goes all over the world. Um, you know, someone made a comment one time, we're international. Uh, we're really we're really not. But it's just cool because God has taken this platform. And, like, here's the thing. Like, we, we come to this room every week, and we do this podcast, and we put it. So, like, we really don't get to see the impact, or we don't get to see, like, the way it goes out. We just sit in this room and read the stats, and we're like, oh, this is pretty cool. I bet, Alan, if we could take a trip and go see every person that's ever listened to this podcast and talk to them about why our minds will be blown. Yeah. And so, but it, it's just cool because it's God. It, it's, it's, a hundred percent God. And, uh, for those of you that don't believe in absolute truth, it is absolute truth. Just deal with it. Um, but not this podcast. God is absolute truth because yes. we probably say some things on here, <laughs> but I'm just kidding. Um, but we are so thankful for you all. And man, we just want you to be, um, encouraged. Um, yeah, we're eventually, I don't know how we're going to do it. I know, uh, Stephanie Hamby, if you're still listening to this, I have not forgot about your t-shirt we owe you. Um, but eventually, you know, we want to be able to make different ways that we can communicate with our listeners. Still yeah. working on that. Yeah, would love it. Um, but, you know, we, we want to be able to contact um, people that listen to this. And I don't know how we're going to go about it. Maybe they'll contact us first. Um, but if you're listening to this podcast, let me share this. If you're listening to this podcast and you're somewhere else than where we are, 
we would love for you to send us an email of your testimony. Just uh, if you're a believer, send us how God's changed your life. Uh, tell us about yourself because we'd like to give you a shout out on this podcast. Uh, but like we we want to hear from you. Hey, I mean, we're all in this together. Man. Yeah, we're all we, in it together. Same we, fight. Yeah, we want to be personal and intentional. Um, with our listeners and there are some that we get to do with here family and friends and people that just live in this county and it's great but those of you who just don't live around here or in another country um, send us an email media media at watchingchapel.net um, tell us your testimony get with us on facebook at wcbc podcast send us a message uh, we we just would love to be able to contact you and talk with you um, and you know you might have a word that might encourage us i don't know um, but alan before we go as I stated earlier, would you pray for those who defend the faith continuously and are always standing, and for those who might be going through this topic of deconstruction we're talking about? Our Father, we thank you for this time that you've allowed us to have, God. We thank you for technology, God. We know that some abuse it, God, but we pray that you'd help us to keep a right perspective, God, on the blessings that you've given us. And, God, we'd use them, God, for the spreading of the gospel, and we'd use it for encouragement, for exhortation, God, and uh, we'd use it for your service, God, to give you all praise and glory. Uh, we pray for those that uh, are listening today that may be going through a hard time, God. Maybe they are doubting. Maybe they are questioning. Maybe they are having uh, times of darkness, God. I pray that you would encourage them right now uh, through the Holy Spirit. And, God, I pray that you would just speak to them in the only way that you can. And, God, just reveal to them the answers to their questions, God. Uh, if it's for salvation, God, I pray you'd help them not hesitate. I pray you'd help them immediately respond to the call of the Holy Spirit. And, God, I pray for those, God, that uh, who are so faithful. God, no matter where they're at, no matter what the opposition, but God, they are determined to live for you. They're determined to stand for you. They're determined that, God, that the cause of Christ is worth everything, God, that they face. God, I pray that you would bless them. God, let them know that, uh, that we appreciate them, God. Let them know that, uh, uh, that they're uh, fighting a good fight, God. And I pray that you would encourage them, strengthen them, and God, help us. Uh, God, as we continue about uh, your business, God, that you would just lead God and direct in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, guys. We love you guys, and we're praying for you, and we'll see you guys next week. Peace out.